Hello Silverside friends, welcome to Silverside Church's virtual jazz brunches, out of the darkness and into the light. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Reminder that you can stop the program at any time if you need to get up and stretch your legs or you need to refresh your drink, anything like that. Otherwise, just sit back and enjoy the inspirational words of Dr. Farmer and of course the excellent music by Melissa. Tale of Two Devotees Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through the first part of verse 5. You will recognize these words as a part of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an idol whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Exodus chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Moses was atop Mount Sinai, where, as the story is told, God was giving him the Ten Commandments. And he was up there a long time, and the people were uh, at the foot of the mountain. These are the uh, Hebrew people who had escaped Egypt and were in search of the promised land. Uh, their leader, Moses, had gone up this mountain and hadn't come down for a long time. So they gathered around Aaron, and they said to Aaron, who was the second in command after Moses and Moses' brother, Come make gods for us, plural. This is before uh, the Hebrews were a monotheistic people, so they still believed in other deities. Come make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Okay, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold from the people, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And the people said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. With reference to the calf, or was there more than one? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the calf, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. You're reading this out of context. You don't take time to put it into context. You think Lord with a capital L refers to the God of Israel, the one God of Israel. No, no. Here it refers to the golden calf. How quickly people alter their religious allegiances. Tomorrow shall be a festival to our calf, our Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to revel. Party time! As the story goes, 
God in conversation with Moses at the top of the mountain says, you better get back down there. The people whom you led out of Egypt have gone wild and crazy. As soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets, the Ten Commandments, that's another sermon, from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf, the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. And then Moses said to his brother, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Well, brother, I, 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 I know you're upset. I understand. I understand that you're upset. It, it, I, but, but here's what happened. Hear me out. Hear me out. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. They thought that you had disconnected from them and therefore that God wasn't watching over them because you weren't here to remind them of God. So they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, they said to me, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. He could be gone for good. So I said to them, okay, okay, well, I don't know where he is either. So whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave me their gold. And I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And then there's a verse that is not recorded in the Hebrew, but I'm certain should be there. Then Moses said, mm-hmm. It is not unusual or inappropriate in any way for statues to be created and erected in honor of people of import people that we want to remember in a very significant way beyond their lifetimes. I have four statues to remind you of that fact, and all four are women in honor of Women's History Month. The first is Anne Hutchinson, whom I regard as the first female preacher in American preaching history. The second, Sojourner Truth. This bust of Sojourner Truth is in the U.S. Capitol. I believe the first representation of a female of color um, among any of the statuary in the Capitol. Capitol. Third, educator Mary McLeod Bethune. And fourth, Eleanor Roosevelt. I think the golden idol, I mean statue of Donald Trump on display at the CPAC meeting in Orlando this past week, last week, the American Conservative Union was repulsive in every possible respect. Most importantly, I think for many, it was an idol. And I don't stumble across that word this time. Most of the people involved in the American conservative political movement identify with the religious right both the Protestants and the Catholics. In the last few years, they have made Trump their demigod or their god. And some of them, many of them, functionally worship him. Hang on every absurd word he utters or tweets. give him messianic status. 
equate him with heroic figures in the Bible in addition to the Messiah. It is outlandish. It is offensive to thinking people within Christianity, and I have more to say about that sometime, whether or not this week, I don't know. But this support, religious support of a religious figure who is only religious in their minds is an incredibly dangerous development. And I remind you, of course, that simply being religious isn't good or bad. It can be good, it can be bad. In this case, by religious, in reference to the former inhabitant of the White House and the Oval Office, I mean religious in a fraudulent way, a fraudulent embrace of Christianity from a far right wing perspective fundamentalist perspective. Again, incredibly dangerous, absurd, more dangerous than absurd. The reason I say that is because the parallels between CPAC and those who supported Hitler on his rise to power is horrifying. Thinking people within Christianity, Protestants and Catholics had better wake up. In July 1933, it was ordered by the Nazis that all civil servants were required to offer the Siegheil salute. Priests and bishops, this also includes Protestant clergy, were required to comply.
With all of this in mind, now let me tell you about the two devotees on which we will focus today. First will be Dr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Second, Pastor Martin Niemöller. Chances are you have heard of at least one of these, maybe both of these. One of these has written something that I'm certain you know about but we will come to those items by and by. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemöller, A Tale of Two Devotees. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born February the 4th, 1906 in Breslau, Germany to a family that wasn't um, particularly religious. They were not anti-religious, but they weren't particularly religious. They were good people, uh, good values and such, just not particularly uh, church kind of folks. Given the background, his family and friends were quite surprised when he made the announcement at the age of 14 that he wanted to study theology. Shock. This might lead to being a professor of theology. It might lead to being a pastor. But the family was stunned. In 1927, he graduated from the University of Berlin. Um, he earned a doctorate there, and his, um, his research centered around the communion of the saints, sort of a, a very broadly ecumenical uh, a study. After having graduated from Berlin, Dr. Bonhoeffer spent time in Spain and the United States, not far from us here, just up the road at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. He continued to have an interest in ecumenism, which dovetailed into a concern for social justice and an increasing awareness of people who were oppressed. In 1931, Germany was in terrible trouble and he decided he needed to be back there. Um, 
helping his own people. So he did return to Berlin in 1931, where he was ordained as a pastor of the German Evangelical Church. Um, again, people were in such great need. It was horrible social circumstances because of the instability of the Weimar Republic. So Bonhoeffer was an extraordinary scholar And he was an exceedingly compassionate pastor. Many Germans had welcomed the establishment of the Weimar Republic. However, because it had become immensely unstable in practically every way imaginable, most Christian institutions, some historians say, were very relieved with the ascent of the Nazi dictatorship. Hitler's government was established in 1933. The German Evangelical Lutheran Church, which was called there the German Evangelical Church. It was the foremost Protestant church in Germany uh, with many other Christian groups, both Protestant and Catholic, welcomed Hitler's government in 1933. There was an absolute blending of government with church, with government clearly calling the shots. This picture shows an elaborate German evangelical pulpit from the time of Hitler. The pulpit faces a crucifix, but there's a swastika. There's a swastika on the pulpit itself. Ultimately, there was no difference between church and state. Church became a function of state with Hitler in control. When in our nation people think that it's okay to make patriotism a part of their religious practice, a part of their church service and such. When people in our nation forget the importance of separation of synagogue, church, mosque, and state, this picture should be um, an unforgettable reminder of what can happen when the church becomes a tool of the state and ultimately gives up its power for favors from the state. As Nazis became more and more intolerant of the Jews in a public way, Hitler said, we tolerate no one in our ranks who attacks the ideals of Christianity. Our movement, that is Nazism, ultimately Jew killers, our movement 
is Christian. Those pastors and churches who would not join with the state church that had become Hitler's lapdogs established what was called the Confessing Church. Ultimately, it was driven underground. Much of what Bonhoeffer did during those years had to be secretive. The Confessing Church established what was called the Barman Declaration. Part of that declaration proclaimed what you see on the screen on the right here. We reject the false doctrine that apart from this ministry, the church could give itself or allow itself to be given special leaders, Führer, vested with ruling authorities. That is, the government cannot rule the church. You can imagine how much Hitler loved reading that. Those pastors and churches who did not agree with the compliance of the German evangelical church to Hitler's demands did speak out against what was going on both before and after the extermination of the Jews began, uh, but they became increasingly enemies of the state and Hitler increasingly uh, took action against them. Uh, Bonhoeffer believed that uh, it was absolutely required of Christians to speak out in favor of Jews and to take action in favor of Jews. Um, his views were based on a theology that wasn't quite up to absolute acceptance of Jews as people uh, deserving of all protections just because they were people. He had a theological notion that uh, the Christianity was a continuation of um, the Jewish religion um, in the respect that it directed um, it directed religious ideals toward the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. Um, not being critical of Bonhoeffer, but I'm saying his motivation was not simply to protect the Jews because they were they were being persecuted by Hitler for their ethnicity and their religious views. Uh, he had this notion that um, this theological notion that Christianity had actually superseded Judaism as the new chosen people of God. The Hebrews were regarded uh, as the chosen people of God in Hebrew theology, yeah, um, and Christian theology bought into that, and there is this teaching uh, in Christian, uh, early Christian uh, literature that the church is the remnant of the faithful um, after the, um, the Jewish people failed to live up to God's standards. It's, it's a sticky, messy um, idea, the whole, the whole lot of which should be thrown out. Uh, there should be no separation of people just because they're people, not because of any uh, overriding theological notion that any one group is doing uh, any particular special favors for God or that God has chosen any particular religious group to be God's favorite group. Um, that, that's, that's a problem. Nonetheless, Bonhoeffer was a great person 
and an extraordinarily brave person who did against tremendous opposition take extraordinary risks, ultimate risks, to stand up to Hitler. Um, and say that what he was doing to the Jews was immoral and wrong. This quote that you see on the screen right now is kind of the foundation of Bonhoeffer's philosophy of, of action. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Like numerous Protestant and Catholic clergy, ultimately, Hitler had Bonhoeffer put into a prison camp. The Tegel prison was the first one in which Bonhoeffer was imprisoned. You see a picture of the exterior and the cell in which Bonhoeffer spent most of his time. From Tegel, Bonhoeffer was moved to the Gestapo prison in Berlin, the only piece of that prison that remains is what you see on the left of your screen, a piece of the foundation, I think. And then in February of 1945, he was taken to the Buchenwald concentration camp. After Buchenwald, he was taken to the Flossenberg concentration camp. And this is where he would die. He was hanged as punishment by Hitler. Bonhoeffer died April the 9th, 1945. His only true offense was trying to protect the people whom Hitler was murdering. And he did so, that is, Bonhoeffer did what he did out of allegiance to Jesus. He was unwavering in his devotion to Jesus. Jesus over church all the time, every time. Jesus over the state, all the time, every time. And even if church and state should join together as one mighty force, Jesus over church and state, all the time, every time. The martyr Bonhoeffer had said, because he was a true social justice advocate, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself.
And now we turn to Pastor Martin Niemöller, the second of our two devotees. Martin Niemöller was born on January the 14th in 1893. He was born in a city called Lipstadt in Prussia. Unlike Bonhoeffer, he was born into a very religious family, very deeply conservative religious, a Lutheran rather, family. Um, during the First World War, he served as an officer in the Navy, the German Navy. And uh, it turns out that he worked on several submarines, which attacked several Allied ships. By the end of World War I, Niemöller was commander of his own U-boat. He was successful in sinking many Allied ships. Uh, as a result, he was awarded the Iron Cross First Class, which I take uh, to have been uh, the top award you could get for this kind of accomplishment. After World War I, Niemöller shared the views of many conservative milita military officers. Um, he did not like the um, overtly democratic views of the Weimar Republic. Um, he much preferred the imperial German government that had preceded it. Um, so he resigned his military commission and took up farming. Um, tried to make a living as a farmer, but uh, it was a terrible economy to try to make money in much of any way, in particular that. So he, um, he decided he would become a pastor. Apparently, uh, earlier in his life, he had considered it a little bit, but not enough to follow through on it. But now he's going to follow through on it. Uh, his father uh, was a pastor. So in 1919, Martin Niemöller began, began a four-year theological studies program uh, at the uh, University of Munster. And in 1919, he also was married. He remained a very strong national conservative uh, with his theological leanings. And uh, during an uprising, during 1920, he actually left his theological studies to take up a command of a battalion um, of right-wing former military officers or with uh, a group of right-wing former military officers who, it would turn out, would form, um, well, I guess a nucleus, we could say, of um, a part of, of Hitler's Nazi party. He regarded social democrats and communists as atheists, and he detested atheism. Um, he found himself very supportive of Hitler's rise to power, Hitler proclaiming to be a Christian and uh, proclaiming that he was going to put the nation back together and uh, put the workers back to work and so forth. He voted for the Nazi party in 1924 uh, and spoke about the importance of having a strong Fuhrer. 1932, Martin Niemöller, had a private audience with Adolf Hitler, and he noted that Hitler promised he would not interfere with the affairs of the churches if things unfolded the way Hitler thought they would, and in fact did, beginning the very next year. Hitler also told Niemöller that he would not hold any programs to harm the Jews in any way, um, but he would not allow them to have high office in the in the country. Uh, so 
Niemöller believed that and thought that those were all okay. When Hitler came to power in 1933, as I mentioned earlier, um, Niemöller believed the country was going to have a revival politically and socially and theologically, and the, the country would turn around. Everything would be grand. Um, Niemöller wrote a book in 1933 uh, called U-Vote to Pulpit, and he wrote a very right-wing nationalistic view of the First World War, and it became a very popular pastor type with the Nazi party. The book sold 90,000 copies just in the first few weeks, which is something that would be grand even today. But then the persecution of Jews began to increase. Niemöller was first concerned because uh, Hitler's government would not allow uh, pastors who had Jewish ancestry of any kind to move up the ladder of responsibility in the German evangelical church. Remember, Hitler said he wouldn't put his nose in the church's affairs. So Niemöller was very concerned. 1934, a year into his power, of Hitler's power, um, Bonhoeffer and Niemöller um, joined forces, and Niemöller begins to realize how terribly wrong he had been to support Hitler in any way, to give the government control in any way over the churches. Um, and, and Bonhoeffer and Niemöller joined forces with other pastors whose concerns were growing, uh, and particularly with reference to the abuse of Jews. Now, at this point, Niemöller still had some anti-Semitic views, still remained a supporter of Hitler, and thought that Hitler would come around. Uh, Niemöller, with Hitler, believed that Jews should not seek public office, and in one sermon he expressed the belief that the persecution of Jews in history was a result of their participation in the crucifixion of Jesus, which is an absolutely horrible, horrible theological perspective, and for somebody who's had even one year of theological study, or somebody who just bothers to read the Bible without even going to theological school, is not even a biblical teaching. The Jews did not crucify Jesus. The Romans did. But in 1934, Niemöller nonetheless helped to found the Confessing Church, which was a group opposed to Nazi involvement in the German Protestant churches. By 1936, um, Niemöller unequivocally opposed what was called the Aryan Paragraph that asserted the supremacy of the Aryan race with reference to national nationalistic uh, practice and church practice. And Niemöller said this was incompatible with the concepts of Christian love. So he signed a petition with other Protestant clergy, and uh, it turned out to be his last sermon before his arrest. He preached about the need he had realized now incumbent upon him to speak out, to preach out against these injustices. And he said, we have no more thought of using our own powers to escape the arm of authorities than had the apostles of old. No more are we ready to keep silent at man's behest when God commands us to speak. For it is and must remain the case that we must obey God rather than man. This opposition led to a mass arrest by the Nazis of Christians opposing Nazi ideology, and Niemöller was arrested on the 1st of July, 1937, tried at a special court uh, and got a um, 
a seven-month sentence in the prison camps. Because he uh, had already served a sentence awaiting trial, uh, he ended up being released uh, before the full term was up, but as soon as he was released, he was rearrested by the Gestapo, and this time imprisoned in the Sachsenhausen concentration camp. The uh, Secret Service was still hoping to re-educate him on behalf of Hitler. He could have changed his mind and been released again, but he did not. He might have been executed in 1938, but there was a campaign in Britain in the British press about Nazi mistreatment of Christians, and Niemöller was used as an example. So Hitler didn't want the bad publicity, any worse than he already had, and he did not put Niemöller to death as he had Bonhoeffer. Imagine the changes he was going through, personally, socially, theologically, um, having to rethink and recant um, items on which he had taken a strong stand, now did not jive with his conscience, began not to jive with his theology. His theology was not right. He, he had thought wrongly, taught wrongly, and preached wrongly. And as a result, he had cost many people, primarily Jewish people, but not limited to Jewish people, their lives. Niemöller was in a group of prisoners liberated by the U.S. Fifth Army on May the 5th, 1945. This is not at the prison where Niemöller was, I think. It, it may be, I think it is not. But that is General Eisenhower inspecting a gallows. He was already thin. Look how thin he is here. This is a, an interview he's having with the press very soon after he was liberated from the prison camp, from the last prison camp in which he stayed. This is an amazing photograph. We wonder what the lines in his face, what the eyes are feeling and saying, the pain he had gone through. the upside-down life he had lived, the pain he had brought to innocent people, very similar to what the Apostle Paul had done. And now he's in a new chapter of life, and what does he do? Well, he devotes himself to undoing what he had had a hand in doing. And he spent the rest of his life, part of that time, in the United States, speaking and writing and preaching against the church aligning with the government and the church having a hand in any way in abusing people, using religion as a cover for dastardly power. <clears throat> Most of you will recognize this collection of sayings, some call it a poem, 
often when you see it, it is listed as uh, anonymous. It's not anonymous. Um, some may call it anonymous because Niemöller used it in so many different forms as he spoke and wrote across the years. Sometimes he would use parts of this and not other parts of this. This, as far as I know, is the most comprehensive version of it. But in any case, this is a strong message to us today. As people with political power claiming allegiance to the religious right and through the religious right to God and to Jesus, uh, giving them power to take uh, authority and use their authority to diminish human beings all the way from diminishing their ability to earn a decent living, to have health care, um, to have heat in a snow and ice storm in Texas, um, all in God's name. Yeah, we better listen. We better listen anytime, anytime the church becomes bedfellows with the government, trouble will ensue. Who knew, who knew in four years the evil people who had been perching just waiting for the prime opportunity would use the last four years to get to where they got to, well, this is Niemöller's warning. And liberals better listen. Liberals will feed the hungry. Liberals will protest. And liberals will carry signs demanding change. But liberals want to be live and let live kind of people and think that in the end, people will reason themselves through to the right way of doing things. No, they won't. Most won't once they're in a group of evil people. Bonhoeffer died. Hitler stayed in power as long as he did. For that reason, people are worshiping the idols of Donald Trump, for God's sake. And his enablers. Don't forget his enablers. Nimoller. One time Hitler lover, Hitler enabler in the church. In Germany, they first came for the communists and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. And then they came for me. And by that time, no one, no one was left to speak up.
Let's move now to a time for sharing of prayer energy and energies from our positive thoughts. The opportunity to celebrate today is the Neal family. Marie is a great-grandmother. John is a grandfather. Dr. Krista Neal Wasserman, Dr. Lee Wasserman, are the proud parents as of Friday afternoon of a beautiful baby daughter. I've seen the picture. I have no more information at this time in terms of name or uh, other details, but uh, that much I know and have that much information to share, and that gives us lots to celebrate. Uh, I can imagine what Marie's smile looks like at this time. To Krista and Lee from Silverside Church, congratulations and joy uh, as you have this opportunity to bring up your beautiful baby daughter in a better world than we have yet known. We are celebrating, still celebrating, the gift of more than $5,000 raised by three fundraising teams for a Mardi Gras um, hunger relief project. Um, and here is our outreach chair, Laura Inglehart, uh, presenting that check to Brenda Juarez of the Latin American Community Center. What a beautiful picture and what, uh, what a happy, celebrative opportunity that we all get to participate in, thanks to our three hardworking fundraising teams. On the same occasion, there is our Board of Education Chair, Bob George, who was there joining Laura in presenting this $5,000 plus to Ms. Juarez. Again, such a great thing you did, Silverside. Silverside cares. As we join together for the sharing of prayers and positive thoughts this morning, I would like to let you know that um, Nancy Fredgant came through her surgery on Thursday just fine. She did very, very well. Um, we're great, great, certainly grateful for that. I had an email toward the end of the week from uh, Rafiq Eid, um, and Rafiq has now moved into a semi-private room at the healthcare center where he is staying. I will share uh, again those details and his cell phone number. He is happy for you to have that. I will not share those kinds of personal details uh, here as this uh, circulates widely some weeks. And uh, my sister-in-law, Tammy Dossett Farmer, had her cancer surgery. And uh, the good news is the lumpectomy was successful and uh, the pathology showed no signs of spreading cancer. But after evaluating post-surgical um, x-rays, the surgeon decided that she should remove some more tissue from around the lump. So Tammy goes back on the 17th for a bit more surgery and then later in the month or perhaps uh, early in April, the uh, uh, precautionary radiation will begin. She's back at work teaching, which is her, which is her love. May we pray. Gracious God, for your presence with us and all the challenging and celebrative circumstances of life, we give you profound thanks for people who share of what they have so that life can be more livable and meaningful for those who are struggling at this moment. We give you profound thanks for a community, a spirituality community that encourages the sharing of time and talents and funds 
so that life can be better for those who struggle at this moment. We give you thanks. For a community that throughout its history, a spirituality community that throughout its history has insisted that we not take any holy writ at face value or forget its original context, we are profoundly thankful. And for a community that would never let us practice idolatry, either idolatry in the form of worshiping objects or ideas, even creating verbal images of you, our God, life source and life force. We give you thanks for those extraordinarily devoted people who, in order to be faithful to you, lost their lives. We pray for a world in which increasing numbers of people open themselves up to the inner light and follow the lure, the lure that is there in all of us if we pay attention to what is good and wholesome and whole and right so that the world may be what it was intended to be from the moment it was created. Because of Jesus we pray. Amen.